Are you stuck in a job and aren't happy? Do you think you can't move forward without a degree? What if I told you that someone went from making $14 an hour, six figures in less than five years? On top of that, what if I told you they are currently earning a multiple six-figure salary as a cybersecurity engineer at Google? Can you imagine that? Well, welcome back to the No Degree Podcast. It's me, Janine Iqbal, and I'm all about sharing stories that you don't need a degree to be successful. Today, I'm talking to Diamond Forbes, who is a security engineer at Google. He didn't follow the conventional steps. He didn't get a degree, and he also didn't stick to one job for years at a time. He started out earning $14 an hour doing help desk. He quickly moved up, and within less than a year, he was making $25 an hour. Diamond is going to share how he stood out in every job that he took so that he could get raises and move up to the next level. He'll share his strategy for learning new things and climbing the corporate ladder. Do you want to know how Diamond made these big jumps in his career? Are you eager to learn how he increased his income so much in such a short period of time? Then stick around because this is a conversation you don't want to miss. So get ready to hear an awesome story about making your own way to success. Here we go. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the no way. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today I have a special guest, Diamond Forbes, who currently works at Google. And he's here to share his story on how he worked his way up. So what exactly do you do at Google? Like, what's your current title? What's, you know, what do you do there? Yeah, so I'm a security engineer at Google. So specifically, because there's so many domains in security, I do detection response and threat hunting. So mostly coding, honestly, uh, okay. with building new detections. But there's a percentage of the time that I spend actually like searching for threats and actually like acting on those uh, detections that we create. So that's what wow. I do. Yeah. That's, that's cool. And for those of you in the audience, this is not an entry level role. It's a journey. And the reason that Diamond was able to get it is because he has a wealth of experience that we're going to dive into on this podcast. So overall, if you could create a blueprint of your success to pass on to someone without a college degree, what would it look like? Like, what are some things that really kept you going? Because it's not easy, right? It's not like a one, two year journey. This is a five to 10 year journey to get to where you are. It depends on the person, realistically. I'm not like super smart. I think I accumulate intelligence over time and experience and wisdom because of the repetitions and the iterations. But first off, yeah, it depends on you, depends on on your goals. But I would say, uh, usually it would take, yeah, I'm on an eight, eight to nine year time frame. I got into the field when I was 18. Okay. So, <laughs> so a blueprint um, for me, someone like me, I'm personally like, uh, I'm hungry for knowledge. So that's a plus already. Like, yeah, it's just built and ingrained into my personality. Like I'm hungry for knowledge. I'm super curious. And that gives me drive. I would say hyper-focus for certain extents. Like I have nine years of experience. One thing I like to tell people is like three of those years, I was like super, super focused. The other years, if I'm being completely honest, I was kind of BSing around. But I would say those those stints of periods where I was super hyper-focused, they helped me like kind of coast into higher and higher positions with more responsibility, more skills. I say like I kind of recreated myself every three years, started off super hyper-focused kind of floated for three years, had another phase, floated for three years. And I'd say I'm at, I'm at another phase of, of hyper-focus right now, actually, um, with, with the emergence of AI and machine learning. And, but a blueprint in terms of job position, because that question can go like so many different directions. Yeah, yeah. We don't, you don't have to go too deep, but I, I think you answered it because you said you always had a hunger for learning and growth. And cybersecurity is one of those areas you can't, you can't coast because you coast all of a sudden there are new threat act. You have to like stay up to date, like outside of work. You got to see like, how are people breaking into things? What are the latest technologies? What are the latest vulnerabilities? Like you have to really stay on top of it. No. So we'll go into like the deeper blueprint 
That was a great answer. So now what are the realistic salaries that you've seen for the types of roles that you've had? Because so many people talk about salaries, but you know, I know oftentimes you have to start off at a lower role, like a help desk, use that to accumulate experience, move yourself up. But six figures is definitely more than possible, but it does take time. Yeah. I think I'm the perfect person to ask that because I've had, I lost count. I think 15 or 16 jobs. I think Google. Wow. Google is either my 15th or 16th job, um, like IT job, as soon as I got in the industry at 18. So my first job was technically joining the Army as an IT specialist and yeah. engineer, but in the civilian side, um, because I got to live the both sides of the, of the world, one being a civilian and one being in the military since I was uh, reserves part-time. So my first IT job in the civilian side was at the Pentagon. And oh wow! See that? See everyone makes that face, but I was making fourteen dollars an hour. Okay, <laughs> but it's the perception behind it, and yeah. even inside the field, where it's like my first job's at the Pentagon. So it's like me personally, I did a lot of contracting work the first half of my career, so I was able to jump from position to position. But in my head, I had it in my head the whole time. I wouldn't just coast and like do help desk because my first job was help desk. I wouldn't jump to another help desk position. I would never do that. Yeah. I, I had it in my head. Like, okay, I'm help desk six months, grind, 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 study for my security plus all of that. And then the next position I'm a system admin. Then the next position I'm a network engineer. And that's how my career went. went. It's super linear. And I was able to speed up at certain points in times, but also the, the, the salary expectation for a while double each time. Okay. I went from fourteen dollars. I'm not going to share like my yeah yeah current salaries, but I don't I don't mind sharing my salaries throughout the journey. So fourteen dollars an hour uh, help desk has zero experience, so yeah. I didn't even try to negotiate that. So yeah, I'm yeah. put in the door, grinding, grinding six months, and then twenty five dollars an hour when I was a system admin. To when I left there, I was making thirty eight dollars an hour. Uh, in my third position. Then I did a tour in Iraq uh, for a year and I was doing network engineering and things of that nature out there. And when I came back, I had my first six-figure job. So mind you, I've only had three positions in the civilian side and each time was roughly six months. Yeah. Uh, so think of a year and a half, less than two years. When I came back, I was making 130. Wow. Yeah, for my first six-figure job. So that was a year that I like, took time to study when I was in Iraq and had experience, a lot of networking experience before I went to Iraq because they called me kind of last second. I was actually going to get an offer for six figures, but then I got called into duty. But that, yeah, that was the route to six figures for me. I would say a plus is that I had military experience, IT experience from the military. They taught me like low level stuff. So like A plus, some security plus, some network knowledge, all at basic levels. And then it, it was on me to take that steps further and do the studying on my own time. Like if anyone's into networking, Cisco Packet Tracer, like where you can like yeah. simulate putting a whole entire network together, connecting devices together and understanding the science. Because if anyone's ever done networking, it's, it's, it's a whole science behind it. It's super complex. So... Taking the free time to do that, even before we started recording, I was I'm studying for my OSCP, so like hacking Active Directory infrastructure, like always like studying. And, and with YouTube, it's super easy. With ChatGPT now, it's super easy to come up with like comprehensive study plans and iterate through that each day. And that's honestly what I'm doing with like AI and machine learning. Like I'm putting a YouTube playlist together, taking extensive notes using chat GBT to like add on to the notes and like building my knowledge up like every day. So like small percentage yeah. every day compounds over time. So like generally speaking, that's been my approach for like yeah, yeah. years. And you know, it's even easier now on a YouTube videos. Some of them have transcripts. Yeah. What you can do is you can take a playlist, yeah. take all the transcripts, put them all into a PDF and then put into chat. Now you can actually answer questions based right. on that playlist. So you can create a, a study bot. So there's, there's other ways to do that too, because like some models can access the internet. You could just feed in the website URL to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so much easier. Or like if you're high speed, 
use Python to like make like a web scraper and scrape the transcript from the web yeah. page and, and then feed it into the ChatGPT or or uh, Bard for Google. Yeah, yeah. Let me promote Google a little bit. And, <laughs> and we just dropped Gemini as well. So that's, yeah. yeah so I think we're, we're number one now. But yeah, feed into the API and like that's experience right there. Yeah, no, no, that's good. And I, I think like as someone who's, if you're in tech and you want to be in tech, you have to be creative. Use that technology, showcase that project, especially if you're for early role and you talk about how you studied for it and you mentioned that, they'll be like, yo, this person's creative. Because right. for cybersecurity, you have to be creative because the threat actors get very creative in how they attack yeah. systems. Exactly. I would say um, an important bit from my career so far is how I talked about recreating myself every like few years. I was a network engineer for the first half of my career, pretty much. Yeah. So there was a turnaround point for me. I think one of the biggest factors as well is me being like super meticulous with my career from the start. So halfway through my career, when I got to my dream job, because I love networking. Yeah. I worked at Cisco. I moved out to San Francisco to go work for Cisco. I talked about this publicly before, but to keep it short, like within my first week, I saved a client from leaving a multi-million dollar deal. Like, wow. And I didn't get any recognition for it. <laughs> so that kind of like put a chip on my shoulder, but then it got me to start thinking, this might not be like the route I want to take long term. Like maybe I need to learn more skills so I can kind of increase my ceiling. Yeah. So like I'm having all these thoughts and then being in the Bay surrounded by tech people, I, I'm a lot more creative. Like I'm in that space and I had no distractions either. So like one thing about me is like from the start of my career, I, I said I was never going to code. Like it was too hard. Like I didn't, yeah, have, yeah. I didn't think I had the aptitude for it, but like being a network engineer for a while and understanding the full stack from physical all the way to the application layer, I was Slowly over time, I feel like I got the technical aptitude to be able to tackle it, but I, I still need I still needed to convince myself. So pretty much, like long story short, I learned how to solve a Rubik's cube, and I kind of I convinced myself like I knew I knew I was smart enough to like be able to code. On top of that, I started having thoughts about like what are some of the future technologies that are super relevant in in the field at large. Like what the biggest thing that I thought about was business runs off of technology. That's the only, yeah, we have a job like anyone in tech, like business commerce in, in the current age runs off of technology. So I thought from that perspective, what are some of the relevant skills to support this theory? So like you can think of cloud infrastructure, everyone, everything is like moved into the cloud current day for the most part, like. You don't have stuff on-prem unless you are the cloud provider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you have like Linux skills. Everything's deployed on Linux. Then you have cybersecurity, and that's a broad field. And then you have coding, coding, scripting. So I decided to like dive into all of that pretty much. And I started taking on projects. I taught myself how to code first. And then I started taking on projects to actually implement the code. All the skills that I just listed, I would do projects that had all of those skills like intertwined into the project. So that's when I'm in interviews for like senior security engineer positions, I talk about that. And then I talk about the projects, projects that I actually worked on. And even without the actual years of experience, I was able to jump from a network engineer to a senior security engineer. And you know, one thing I like about technology, a lot of people look at this years of experience and I tell people, look at the job and what it entails. Some things will say 10 years experience. It's like, look at it. Can you do the job? Sometimes it's someone who's, who thinks you need 10 years of experience. Or sometimes in your own case, you have done it. You have worked on that specific thing. Because if you can do that specific thing, that's really what matters. Now, let's take it back. You started help desk, but how was high school like for you? And what did you want to be in high school? I wasn't even thinking about technology in high school. I was a military brat as well. So I moved around a lot. I actually wanted to be a chef. Okay. I'm rambling a lot. But long story short, I wanted to be a chef. My mom, she's from Trinidad, from the Caribbean. I switched my like thoughts about like what I wanted to be around a lot when I was like super young. But once I got to like middle school, high school, I was like set, like, um, I'm gonna be a chef. I love cooking. And I did, I really did love cooking. 
but through like um, some events after high school, uh, it was a little rough. Like my mom kicked me out. A lot of kids. I was enrolled in um, culinary school and I couldn't go, so I was homeless. And then um, that's how I ended up joining the military. But uh, in high school, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have the best grades at all. Actually, yeah, I had very mediocre grades. Not bad grades, but very mediocre grades. I had no focus. Uh, I wasn't really interested in anything they were teaching me in high school. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think most people talk about that. But like, uh, I did do like a two like short semesters in college, and after I got into my field, I got into my field. I knew what I wanted to do when I jumped into IT through the military. So I started to try to go to college, and these are like short two month semesters. And then come to find out, I felt like I was like a whole new person because uh, I'm like acing all my classes. And that's kind of what led me to drop out, uh, to be honest, because I felt like I didn't need it. <laughs> and I still, I still feel like I don't need it. So after like two, two short semesters in college, I, I dropped out. But beforehand, yeah, in high school, I didn't think I was like, I was at the low side of the food chain in my head. And if I could go back, I would definitely try to do some tech classes. So now, how'd you get that help desk job? Like, what made you decide, like, let me go get a help desk job? Honestly, I was winging it. <laughs> yeah. I was really winging it. Um, but another key thing to point out is I had connections, too. I had I started building a network, and that was a little easier being in the military. But that first job, I, I remember to this day, it was a guy, Eric Chan guy. Um, that the military with and he he went to he was in basic training with me and AIT which is like job training in the military and when we got back home he hit me up he was like yeah so the subcontractor just hit me in for the position you you know they're looking for more people you should apply Uh, because I had a security clearance too so it was super easy I remember when I first got back home from training I, I went back to my job at Six Flags I did it for a week because <laughs> I only worked at McDonald's and Six Flags before that. And I went there uh, for a week. And with a week, within a week, I got a job. So I wouldn't say I was like super like thoughtful about that first help desk job. It just kind of, I was in the space. I felt like I was overqualified for it, honestly. But I needed to get my foot in the door on the civilian side. So um, in hindsight, help desk is a good place to start out to understand like, basic hardware, basic like software principles and troubleshooting. So from a linear approach, it's a good place to start. But if I can redo it, I think I could actually qualify for something way and still being realistic, obviously like studying harder. And I think it's easier for me to say that now with all the accumulated knowledge back then. But as I see people throughout my whole career, some people can start out going into a security engineer position. I think it's super ambitious unless you go that traditional route, get a really good degree and have all these internships. Like everyone has a different journey, but if you're dedicated enough and you have enough knowledge, yeah, that those years of experience don't matter on the job descriptions. It's like, can you do the job? So how do you go about learning the help desk stuff? Like, what do you need to know specifically to at least start off a help desk role without being lost? Mm, I have a document that I send to people that ask me that, actually. Okay, so we'll share it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, so like, um, I have two documents. One I actually put together. Well, I put both of them together. But one I actually, like, drew out different domains of technology and what you could apply to and how to, like, kind of take a, an approach to a specific domain in, in tech. But for help desk specifically, the key things are like understanding basic hardware. So like that's what the A plus teaches you. I never took the A plus. I just like took, took the classes, watched YouTube videos, understood the hardware components of computers. It's a good start. Computers, networks, and then troubleshooting skills, which is it's super abstract. It's hard to like just troubleshoot like what are we troubleshooting There's so many things you can troubleshoot but basic things at a help desk level that you'll deal with is like either like windows desktops macbooks sometimes but usually windows desktops everything is is windows heavy and troubleshooting like uh big like you can go on youtube for that like how to troubleshoot windows like there's so many videos on there for that 
and like active directory creating user accounts that's super impressive because that's more like on the system admin side but if you can understand basic concepts of active directory which runs the entire like uh identity system for companies like if you have a if you work somewhere you have an email account you can log into these things it's active directories running your identity uh that identity component underneath so if you can understand basic things about that and then understand basic troubleshooting about that that would be like super impressive off the gate for a help desk position and then like basic networking concepts you'll run into and basic security concepts but like the biggest thing is like windows environment Active Directory, some troubleshooting, and some basic hardware knowledge, and the like. A document I put together gives you like an intro into some of these things through Try Hacking, which is their website. Take a couple weeks to like really go through it, take notes, and understand it. And most people could qualify or overqualify for a help desk position. With yeah, Try Hack Me has hundreds and hundreds of different learning paths. So I really recommend just diving in and starting that. And the other underrated thing is Google and forums, right? That's like the help desk tech person's best friend. And now I know ChatGPT and Gemini Bard, right? Like you can at least get some ideas, but it's knowing about how to search, how to ask the right questions, framing it the right way so you get the right response. Um, And all that. That's a big point. Like uh, people that, because I, I talked before, I taught security engineering courses and, and network engineering courses to like my business at one point. But another key thing throughout my career was like learning how to do research. And there's different yeah. levels to it because most of the time, no matter what level, senior level you're at, you don't know what you're doing in your job. Like yeah, yeah. the percentage of your job that you actually don't know what you're doing, but you have the resources or you know how to use the resources to be able to look things up and figure things out. And even when I got to Google, there was a whole different level of that internally that I can't really talk about. But like yeah. the concept applies everywhere, no matter where you're at. And even like before you even get a job, just using Google search and understanding how to properly do research and look into something before you like start asking questions. And with ChatGPT, that's even like, that's multiplied to next or well, more than that. But <laughs> Um, yeah, understanding research and like doing due diligence research to like yeah. find questions or find answers to your questions. So you had that role for like six months. Now, what was the next role and how did help desk help you land that next role? Mm, funny story. I was only interviewing for like system administrative positions. Yeah. I wanted to go to the next level. And one of them, the guy asked me like to, to explain DNS. And I could not, because I knew what I knew what it was in my head. Yeah. But when he asked me, like, what it even meant, like, you know, what does DNS stand for? His domain name system. But I can't remember what I said. I said something like completely like off track, and I didn't get the job. But that's the key thing. Every interview I go into, I've been in hundreds of interviews like over the years. Every interview I go to, I take notes either during or after, and that keeps me in the loop of what hiring managers are actually looking for. Every interview that I failed, which is many, so many interviews I failed, yeah, yeah. I would always know what the hell I'm talking about afterwards. Maybe yeah, not yeah. hiring, but afterwards. And I've interviewed at all the top tech companies, which is a whole nother story. And I started to understand through failure what they're actually looking for and what the bar is. So that influenced my studies over the years as well. And that just turned into different levels over time. Like I've interviewed at LinkedIn. I've interviewed at Google like way back when and didn't get it the first time. That was like 2020. Interviewed at TikTok. Like now I know what all these positions are or all these companies in certain positions are looking for. But to come back to the question, I started studying more after I failed these interviews. And then I got into the specific one at Department of Homeland Security. They were looking for someone like with some good experience in system administration. I think having the military experience helped me as well. It made me look good, stand out on my resume. But I was studying a lot, like, like Security Plus. I knew some basic system administration. I knew about Active Directory. So they asked me like Active Directory network-based questions. So I killed it. But to be honest, I wasn't qualified for the position. 
think my resume looked really good and the key things that they wanted me to know, I studied on my free time. And I was able to answer these questions like very fluently. I remember the funny part comes to my first day on the job because mind you, I'm 19 at the time. Yeah. So all the old guys I worked with. So my first day on the job, like retired, like army colonel. He's like, how old are you? I'm filling out my W-2. He's like, how old are you? It's like 19. Then it's like, oh, dang. I didn't realize you were that young. So I was hoping for someone with more experience. But then he was like, you know, I guess, you know, we'll give you a shot, see how you do, though. And then I killed it. They loved me. I just, you know, worked hard. And just, yeah. so I was like learning, not asking the same questions over and over. Like if I have, if you have questions, make sure you're, you know, documenting it and like understanding it because like a lot of it won't make sense. But like if you document and understand it after you, you ask the initial questions, then the questions should differ over time. They should get yeah. more complex. You shouldn't be asking the same questions over and over. So they took a bet on me and I over delivered. And then that's kind of the cadence for the rest of my career. How do you over deliver for a role? Like, what does that mean? Right? Because a lot of people know, hey, you, you're given some tasks and you do it. How do you go to the next level to say like, wow, this guy really is above and beyond? And how do you identify those tasks? Because some people just don't know, right? Like, that's, that's a good question that I, n- I never gave a, a full answer to. But I, I think at this point, I have a good answer for it. So one part that I've said before is like what the difference between an engineer and a, a coder, for example, like someone that knows how to code, they can just code. They can write the code. You give them yeah. the direction and some guidance of some yeah. sort. In the code, an engineer is going to be able to collaborate with other teams, people in the team, people outside the team, people outside the organization. They're going to be able to do the initial research. They're going to be able to do some like design. Like, even when I was a network engineer, not coding, they're going to be able to, like, to actually do like architecture designs. And the work didn't even start yet. We're just like talking yeah. about all the like soft skills, like from communication to um, like even negotiation with different like stakeholders. I think a lot of soft skills and a lot of less technical skills that are important for like the overall delivery of projects, like instead of just tasks, that's how you over deliver because yeah. now you're like doing multiple jobs, honestly. And that's where you get your value in the market when you can piece it all together and become, if we're talking about tech field, and become an engineer and not just an operator. I think that's how you over-deliver. So there's a lot of intangibles behind that as well. Like me, I like to really dive into things, which can be a good and bad thing too. Yeah. So me even understanding that is valuable. So like I can dive into something, go down this rabbit hole, and then pull myself out. And then... I can do that with multiple things at the same time. I'm an introvert, but like no one knows that because like I can like talk a lot and I can make connections and I can like build on that day by day by day. So like those are the intangibles that people, some people like admire because it's like, oh, I can't even do that. And that's, and I think just having that, being self-reflective and being able to like that one example I said where like you can dive super deep in something then refocus yourself without someone having to like constantly tell you, yo, you gotta get focused. Like that that's an intangible, I think, especially when you get at higher levels. It's like super, super important. But I don't think you get that insight without failing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. At no. the end of the day, you don't get the insight. I'm saying this right now, and maybe it'll help a lot of people and give you the insight. But honestly, you don't get that. For me, I didn't get that insight without failing a ton. Yeah. Like lots of failures in many different areas. Now, it doesn't have to be technical. It could just be like people related to Yeah. It. What I find people who over deliver, they take initiatives and they do things without being asked. Mm. Because, hey, I got a code, but I got to make sure this code is secure. Yeah. I document my code. I know other teams that use them, so I let them know and I update them. Like, here's what I did, FYI. And it's just being that proactive. People say, people look at you, oh, this person is a professional. And even though you're young, now they don't view you as young. They view you as wise. So you over-delivered on this role. Like, how was it towards the end of the role? I was just speaking about an accumulation of knowledge over the years. Yeah, yeah. 
I wasn't always like that. But I would take it a step further and like, yeah, like being proactive and having those intangibles like that, that gets noticed. But a step further would be you have to be strategic with that as well, because there's a lot of politics everywhere you go. Yeah. To be honest. So it doesn't matter what, whatever, like you've got a dream company, like there's going to be politics there. Yeah. There's a balance you have to keep. So like, yeah, over deliver and, and then have those intangibles. But for example, you spoke about like taking initiative. Don't take initiative on everything. Yep. <laughs> and that might, sound, that might sound bad to some people, but I was a team lead in my last role. When I came to Google, I took a, a position cut for PayPal. And, yeah. <laughs> and to work at Google. But I was a team lead in my last role. And I started to realize, because it was my first time being a team lead, I started to realize like you can't commit to everything because yep. you take on this, especially in the tech field, when you take on all, so much technical debt. And this doesn't have, have to be technical either. When you take on so much debt to manage, like in your like position or for your team, for instance. You set yourself up for failure, you set your team up for failure, and you're trying to over-deliver to look good. And you'll see this a lot at startups, too. You're trying to look so good. You're trying to over-deliver and like hit your OKRs and, and your, your these goals that you promised, and then you over-promised in the first place. Like That's another strategy like teams use in, in the tech field everywhere. I've seen it everywhere now. Yeah. They'll un- they're under-promised. Under promise, over deliver. Under promise, over deliver, and it's like it's strategic. And if you see these companies in these like intra org teams do this, why wouldn't you do that at the personal level? Yeah, like that's how I'm doing it. Like no one ever told me that, but I, after seeing that, like through some iterations over the last few years, honestly, I'm like, why wouldn't you do that at the personal level? Because those guys they get burnt out. Yep. And they get taken advantage of. So I'm not saying don't be that person that doesn't take initiative. I would just advise people to be like super strategic about it. Yeah. And you know that balance is key. And one thing I say is make sure you get the visibility you deserve. I could talk about that for a second. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because that visibility is so important. If people don't know, you won't get credit. I'm not going to lie. I didn't start learning that until this year. Okay. (laughs) Eight years, nine years in. And not saying that I didn't start learning. Like I've knew I've been aware of it at yeah to a certain extent. But when you're at this level, like I'm at Google now, like artifacts are super important. One, so you can validate the work that you did and there and that's why I use the word artifacts. So you can have those artifacts to point back into when you're like on the, you know, board for a promotion or for like a performance review. Artifacts are super important. Or for instance, if you get into a sticky situation and, and some people are being malicious, for instance, you have these artifacts. Now you don't have to speak with emotions. You can speak with facts and make <laughs> people will look stupid if they start to like go against the data and the facts. If that's the case, if someone's like, you know, because like I said, politics are everywhere. Yeah. But artifacts will vouch for you at the end of the day because like word of mouth is not going to vouch for you and people aren't going to have your best interests, even if they're nice people. They yeah. Have. Unfortunately, like I, I knew someone, he used to work at Google. He made a tweet about it and he mentioned how he launched the product, but his product got killed because two months earlier, someone higher up launched another product and his product would have made that product look bad. Uh, so you have to kind of understand these things and you have to realize like, what are their incentives? What are your incentives? Yeah. What makes sense? Um, because unfortunately, there are some people who are just out for themselves. So you have to make sure you you are strategic partners with people, know who has your best interests, know who you can get really close to and know who you should keep at arm's distance. Know, you know who you have to have a document and an email follow up after every meeting because they're going to be like, you didn't say this, you didn't say that. <laughs> This is funny that you're saying this. Uh, very ironic. That's all I'll say. But um, <laughs> but no, everything you're saying is super valid. I think that's going to be like one of the most value piece, valuable pieces of this podcast. Like it's easier said than done, I'll say. Yep. Because some people. You have to learn how to deal with people and different personalities. And there's, and there's like different iterations. Like I acted completely different than I did at like the the next company in the next company because I had to go through the iterations of dealing with people 
failing or them failing and then it affecting me or whatever the case is at the time. So, yeah, I would say it's, yeah, it's easy to hear this on the surface, but just keep it in mind. I would say yep. keep it in mind um, because in reality, it's hard to deal with if you haven't dealt with it before. Yeah. And it surprises you. You're like, wow, this is really yeah. happening. Exactly. <laughs> but over time, you built that muscle memory and then you kind of just cautious, more cautious and you have like a separate thread in your brain that's like thinking in that way yeah. just in case. So like, uh, yeah, it comes with the territory. It comes with time and experience too. So I'd say like, I didn't have to worry about all this for the longest time until I yeah. started pursuing higher level roles, like getting paid more, getting more responsibility. So it comes with time. You had a couple roles on the networking side. How was it breaking that six-figure mark? Because I know sometimes, like, you started off at, like, the 14, and now you're making six figures. How was it? Yeah, it was interesting because, like, you remember the salaries I said before, like, $14 an hour. It's, like, I don't know, 30 k so $25 yeah. an hour. That was 52000 38-something. Yeah. That was, like, my first $80,000. Yeah. Then I deployed to Iraq for a year, and I come back making one thirty. So, like... yeah. Speaking about how I was like super unfocused for times, like when I started making 130, I went and bought a GTR. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, perfect. Like I was really into cars and like racing yeah. and like I had a whole different like fast and furious life back then. Yeah, like yeah. that was my expensive like habit. And that, you know, that's all a part of the journey too. Cause I tell that story now. Like I sold that car and started, that was my hobby at one point. Now my hobby is investing. Yeah. So maybe that'll help someone like kind of paint a picture of how I was spending a hundred thousand dollars a year with going down the drain just to like have fun when I could be having fun right now if I did it in reverse. Yeah. yeah. Fun right now. <laughs> Cause it's like I'm still having fun like in different ways. I travel more now. But I think tech is a good field since, you know, the world runs on tech now. That's why tech people get paid so much. It's that simple. I'd say it's a good field to come into if you're like a high growth mindset person you're you're going to see money like then in your head money becomes a tool so for me money was a tool early on like after i gave up the car stuff like early 20s and then i started investing you have a lot of extra money like be smart be smart with that yeah because yeah to answer the question like when i started making six figures i was like oh dang i'm 20 i just turned no, I was 21 when I yeah. started making that job. I think I just turned 22, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, because when I went to Iraq that week, I turned 21. So when I came back, I just turned 22, and then I started making one third. You know what's interesting? Like, the more money you make, the more you get taxed. Like, yeah. taxes is crazy. Tax yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. I'm still grateful at the end of the day because, like, yeah, yeah. you got But something to worry about. Like, people think you make it 300K, but you actually... 200 or less depending on the state yeah, you live in it's still a lot of money yeah so but it's not as much as you thought it was but like if like what gives me more gratitude is like i travel a lot i went to portugal they get taxed like the top tax bracket starts at 70k like yeah, that's, yeah. you're 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 at the yeah, top yeah. of the food chain in portugal if you make making 70k and like these people that are oh my god like my counterparts or higher like yeah techs when i was like a senior security engineer they were making like 100K, 70 to 100K. And they're getting taxed at the 50% mark. Yeah, yeah. Quality the systems are different over there. They yeah. have different, so the yeah. The quality of life is different. And school is free and, and um, healthcare is free. And yeah, yeah. Way better, way more robust. Quality of life is better. So it's like give and take. So like yeah. extra information for like people that are getting. No, it's good to, look, it's good to have that perspective and all that. So- now you got that first six-figure role. Now, a lot of people don't realize you get a six-figure role, you got to deliver. How'd you make sure that you kept on delivering at that level so that you could continually grow? Because I've seen so many people, they hit the six-figure role, they get complacent. Yeah. And they can never break that barrier because they don't realize like, hey, you got to keep learning. You got to keep doing things. I don't think that was a problem for me though. Like in my career early, earlier than, than that, I would say my first like hyper-focused stage is when I was in Iraq. So like coming back and getting the six figures and negotiating it, just ask me about that later. Negotiation. Oh my God. It's funny stories. I was making 130. Someone else in the same position asked for 90, 96 and they, and they gave it to him. I'm like, what are you doing? And, and, and mind you, this guy's smarter than me. 
too. Yeah, yeah. Like he was way more ahead of me in networking and like everything. So I'm like, what are you doing? And then that helped him out because then he was able to negotiate like way higher. But I'd say the bit that I said about like engineers versus operators, I started getting that knowledge once I hit that that 130 mark at that particular job. And then I started doing more engineering. So I leaned into trying to understand because it's like one thing to like type commands and like and be able to do the technical skills, but it's like a whole another thing, like putting it all together to deliver something tangible that's going to have value to the business. So I started getting that insight and that took repetitions and failure. I'm not going to lie, but like I started working towards that at that point, like imagine 22 having that insight. Like a lot of people don't get the insight till later on, but maybe someone hearing this can get that insight even earlier, which is the, always the goal. But I would say, yeah, self-study on the outside. Uh, not long after that position is when I got into Cisco because I was in that that mindset of like self-improvement. And I was, you know, just pursuing like higher levels of knowledge. Like, okay, I'm a, a network engineer, senior network engineer now, but like, I want to get to Cisco. Like, and that all helped too. It all helped with like the networking. It all helped with, uh, well, networking, like with people. <laughs> it all helped with, um, that's one thing, like having these companies on your resume does help. Like at the end of the day, like having a big company on your resume, like, like I'm at Google now. So if, in the future, I, if I wanted to go somewhere else, like I know it's super easy. Like people that uh, some of my teammates like that have came from other big tech companies, it was a lot easier for them from what they tell me because they already had a big tech company name on their resume. So like, yeah, once you get your foot in the door, it's like uh, that's also a helper. But that's something you can't control. Like things you can control is what I keep harping on, like self-improve, self-study. Like I would allocate time every day, which is, is super hard. Like I struggle with it to this day, because even though I'm a hard learner, like I have competing priorities in my personal life too. And uh, maybe like some bad habits, like going to sleep late, like that affects, that affects you. So like there's these little things in life that even, even when you're passionate about something, it can be kind of hard. So I would say when, you're studying every day. You allocate just a, at least a little bit of time. And it's like we're going into 2024, for instance. If you have your roadmap, your general roadmap, and then you start to like pinpoint exactly what you want to dig into, like from month to month, from week to week, and from day to day, then that takes the stress out of it, honestly, with trying to figure out what you want to study. And if even at that part, trying to figure out what you want to study, like I said before, well, what are the relevant things out there? Depends on your goals at the end of the day. I like to stick to relevance, relevant skills because I love tech in general. So like I can go any direction. So like the relevant skills, okay, that's my personal goal. I'll look into the relevant skills. Like how do I break into this? What domains or what specific skills do I need to learn? And then I'll start to map it all out. Now I have a curriculum for myself for the next six months or year. And then I'll just do a little bit every day because that compounds over time. I guess that's the biggest thing. Honestly, if you can stay disciplined with that, it's just like going to the gym. If you could do a little bit every day and like tweak your diet here every day, like the results are just going to come like over time. Are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. Yeah, and if you see anyone at the gym, you'll see some people, they don't have to have the perfect workout, but the people who go consistently, you see that progress. So I think so many people get stuck on having the perfect study plan, perfect this, perfect that. Just get something done. Even if you have a day where you didn't learn much, it's the habit of actually doing it 
building up over time. Because the thing, the one thing that a lot of people don't realize about tech careers is that if you want to keep moving up and you, if you want to stay relevant, yeah. you have to have this. Just you have to keep up with the news. You have to keep yeah. up with the trends. You have to keep up with the changes. Because I know some people like now you have to justify like, oh, well, can't AI do your job? And it's like, no. Here's what AI can't do. Here's the value that I bring to the table. Exactly, and that's. Like current day, like literally currently is what I'm actually doing right now. Yeah. How do I AI proof myself from here on out? Yeah. And what's my game plan for 2024? That's what I've been working on the last couple of weeks. Okay. Um, and that's what I already started it. Like I'm starting early. I'm not going to start January. Yeah, yeah, you can't start it late. <laughs> yeah. I'm already starting. Uh, so like me personally, like just to be transparent, like AI, machine learning, uh, I'm still like doing like ethical hacking and like red teaming and offensive offensive security. I think that could be a good niche in the future. Like I already been doing security, it's okay. Maybe I can get into AI and else. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm putting myself in position, like constantly. Like that's how I even got into the security in the first place with the same exact process that I mentioned earlier. So I think that is also relevant. Uh, being able to take a step back, evaluate. The landscape at large, like the world landscape, the the tech landscape at large, what are the trends? What is more promising? AI isn't going anywhere. Machine learning isn't going anywhere. Blockchain isn't going anywhere. Lean into it. Like that is that simple. So like at a lower level, networking skills are valuable. Cloud skills are valuable. Security skills are valuable. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out like if you know those three different domains, like what should you focus on? And how to gain basic skills in each of those. Like ChatGPT can answer that question for you. Google can answer that question for you. Then you can like start to piece together a curriculum for yourself using that same concept. Now, you've interviewed at a lot of top tech companies. Now, did the lack of a college degree ever come up or did they just focus on your skills? Good question, good question. So yeah, I've interviewed at, I would argue every single, I've interviewed at every single tech company, every single major tech company. And surprisingly, it never came up at major tech companies. And I think that was like a paradigm shift that they went into. Because this was the 20, 2020 years when I had all these interviews. Every major tech company you can think of, I was interviewing, interviewing at. It never came up. In fact, every time I almost got the position and the, the key factor, because back then it was, it was all network either network engineer or like SRE positions that I was interviewing for. And it never came up about my degree. Deciding factor every single time was my coding ability, even as a network engineer. And you know why coding is so important? And, and when I say coding, it doesn't have to be building applications. Like that's not the only use case for, for code coding languages. There's scripting is a big use case. If you're not a software engineer, scripting is a big use case. Why? Because we, we like to automate things. Like, yeah, you can do that with AI now and different use cases. But even with AI, you still have to be able to script and use like APIs and stuff like that. Like you still have to be able to write like basic code because companies, especially big companies, they're trying to get as efficient as possible. So they're only going to hire engineers that can have those basic coding skills so they can add more efficiency like on top of that. They like to compound that efficiency. And that's a trend, compounding things. So it's like coding skills, like I just started learning how to code, teaching myself how to code end of 2019. So like my skills weren't that great yet. But failing that Google interview back then, more context on that, I interviewed at the campus in, in, in Mountain View. Beautiful. It was a great experience. Like I was at the top of my network engineer game. So I'm killing all the interviews. Like these network architects are interviewing me. Some of the top network architects at Google are interviewing me. They're asking me these really abstract questions. Like I'm not going to give the actual questions, but think in the sense, like if I asked you like, okay, if you had like unlimited resources, like what would you do in this situation? So like those type of crazy questions and they're all trying to dig into your experience without actually asking you your experience to like paint a picture i'm killing all of those like i'm like dang i got the job i'm gonna work at google get to the coding interview super simple coding question but at the time i wasn't that confident yet like i didn't have the skills yet so i couldn't 
passed the coding interview and that was the design. They actually tried to give me a second chance and then they, and then I still couldn't do it because like my coding skills weren't there. So that put a chip on my shoulder. And that's when I started working on coding projects, like practical coding projects, like hundreds and hundreds. And after time, thousands of lines of code to like do practical things. And that led me into the next four years of my career because of failing so many times, like Facebook, Google, Amazon, I was failing all these times and to the point where it got to a point where like I interviewed at Amazon again, got the job offer and I was like, eh, it's not what I'm looking for. So like, yeah, to be able to have that status, it takes time. My journey consists of a lot of failure, like even through certifications. I haven't talked about that yet. Like I failed so many certifications, like I spent thousands of dollars just on, not the certifications, failing the certification, not counting the times that I actually passed. Because I have eight, what, eight certifications now. So it's just like, even that, that made me a better engineer all the time. It's like from a lot of those failures. So. Oh, it's interesting. I know someone on Twitter, he got a cybersecurity job and he asked his boss, he's like, hey, did you hire me? Because I had a master's in cybersecurity. He's like, no, I hired you because you knew Python and coding skills are very underrated. It just, especially now, it just gives you another dimension. And when they have two candidates, one knows how to code, one doesn't. They just have to, right? right? It's just a no brainer. Now, Here's one thing that I know that you're good at. How'd you get used to failure? Because failing is one thing, but how do you get used to it to the point that you can recover? Because it doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to fail. And it's the ability to bounce back. It's the ability to not let it define you that keeps you going. Like, how'd you get comfortable with it that you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to come back. I'm not going to let it crush you. I'm not going to let it define me. I always tend to trace it back to like childhood. Like my personality in its entirety is based off of like different factors from my childhood. Probably not the answer you're expecting. And I'll get into like the more like a uh, practical answer, but like, yeah, like my personal, my whole personality is based off of like my childhood and some things are nature. Some things are nurture and some things you have control over over yeah. time and you can tweak it with the right amount of effort and, and self-diagnosis or like uh, kind of like calming your ego down. I think also I've had somewhat a big ego. So like failure is like... It's a challenge. Yeah, like it's a challenge within myself. I'm like, yeah, okay, watch out pass next time. And then I just go on this like long journey. It might be like super short, but like hours and hours and hours. Like I think the first example of like failure in my career was uh, joining the military and they put me through uh, some CCNA classes, like net basic networking yeah. classes. It was super complicated to me, like subnetting and IP addresses, like all that. Yeah. It's like complicated, but I like complicated stuff. But now I'm like actually facing, facing it head on for the first time, May 18. So it's just like, dang, this shit is hard. And then like, it's time to take the test, like for, for the class. And mind you, like we go through in like a group for throughout the whole like it was a six seven month process, and I failed the course, and I had to stay back. And then seeing all the people I came to the AIT job training with, like they graduated before me, and I had to stay back. And then like the next set of like people, I had to take the class over with them. So like I think e ego dr drove me honestly. Yeah. Like dang, I just, I just fucked up. Instead of letting it define me, I think, like, that's easy to say. Like, I think I naturally had an approach to not let it define me from the start. So, like, I went 10 times harder and they were, like, mind blown. Like, for example, like, I had to, like, put this uh, packet tracer, like, lab together, like, all right, connect a router to a switch and to a computer and set up the router and the switch so in the VLAN, so like the traffic yeah. can make it to the computer and back and forth. I like 10X that project and yeah. make like multiple routers with like high availability and like a set of switches that like had this like spine leaf architecture and then like dozens of end devices and like setting up for repetition to like set all this stuff up to intertwine together. That's the approach I take when I fail. So like, when people are like looking down on me, I'm already like 10xing my next achievement. So it's just like that's the approach I've always taken. So I've always been able to like come out 
10x stronger out of a failure because of what's going on in my head, honestly. And it all yeah. really goes back to my childhood when I think about it. No, I mean, look, it's it's realistic and it's your answer. So I, I think it like you have to challenge yourself and you, you can't be comfortable with failing. Like, yeah, you can't be, yeah. you know, once it no, happens, no, you're, you have to be comfortable with failing. But once you're failing, you're not comfortable. Yeah. You're like, all right, let's go. Let's get the next challenge. In that whole process, you want to make sure like you're not making the same mistakes again, obviously. There's some things in life we make the same mistakes over and over with. Yeah, yeah. yeah most of us can't like come out of some things like somewhere in life, but like. For the most part, like we talking about career, like don't make the same mistakes over and over again and try not to make it more than once, honestly, like once yeah. you fail. So what was the hardest thing you went through? Mm. So I would say like it was more so mental, like like being kicked out after high school, like and having like a bad relationship with my mom for like years, you know, not a completely sad story because we're in a great like place, like as of like the last year and a half now. Yeah. Um, rekindled our bond but like up until then like most of my 20s like we had a horrible relationship and it all stemmed from like things in childhood and then like the peak is when she kicked me out after right after high school but the thing is like that's what drove me to join the military and that's what drove me to having these mindsets that everything i'm talking about it kind of stemmed from that i saw an interesting youtube video from uh, lex friedman he interviewed um, a ci ex-cia agent and then they talked about the correlation between some of the best, all of the best candidates is they had childhood trauma. They had, yeah. they, it was a balance, like too much childhood trauma. Like, yeah. It's like narcissistic people. But when you have like a balance of some love and care, yeah. some trauma too, it produces like <laughs> the best to them from data they collected, it produces some of like the best performing people. And I think that's the case for me. Like, it wasn't all bad, but I have a lot of trauma and then there was some loving care. So like it developed my brain in a certain way to be resistant and have grit and have like a don't fuck with me type of mindset, yeah. but also like a good balance of everything. So like, um, I think that helps. Yeah. Like, not condoning to like add trauma into your <laughs> <laughs> But we have to go through hard things to be able to appreciate the good times too. Yeah. I, look, I always encourage um, parents to put their kids in sports just because it's like that challenge, right? Sports is one of the few things that you can fail in. Someone could like, right, exactly. And you gotta, you gotta figure out. You gotta bounce back. You gotta come up with the. And that's the healthy way to do it, honestly. Like that's one of one of the healthy ways to do it. But yeah, that was like one of the hardest times. That was the lowest point for me, being homeless for a little bit, and then like trying to like figure things out. And then just not having a good relationship with my mom for years after that. Looking back, what are you most proud of? I think it's like a, a constant like sense of like proudness of like just how I handle things and how I've been able to progress in light of like a bunch of stuff that I went through, a ton of stuff <laughs> that I went through. So like I think it's just like I'm, I think I'm most proud of like how I internalize trauma, how I internalize failure. I internalize a lot of negative things. And I always seem to like make positive, like the input, like from an engineer perspective, the input is, is negative and the output, I always seem to make it like positive. Yeah. If not instantly, then over time. So I think I'm most proud of how I internalize like negative things and, and turn it into positive things. This is going to be a very different question. If you saw your 16 to 18 year old self walking across the street today, what would you tell him? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd tell him a few things. I would say buy Bitcoin for sure. Yeah. But, um, I probably would just tell him everything I said today, honestly, to be able to like 10 X my progression over the next 10 years. Like, I don't know what, what could I be with all the, the insight that and, and need to have like discipline what could I do with all that insight if I could tell my 16 year old self that I don't, I don't, I don't know. Cause, yeah. cause a crazy thing is like, I'm 27 now in my whole twenties. And I really count from 18 cause that's when I started yeah. my career. So like the last nine years, I've always told myself every year, I told myself and people that asked me like, Oh, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in a year? And after, after the first two years, when I got to, <laughs> after the first two years, when I started like, seeing how I'm like handling things, I was, I could not answer that question when I turned 20. Cause I'm like, 
I surprise myself every single year. So I can't, I set general goals and benchmarks, but I literally surprise, to this day, I surprise myself every single year. So it's so hard like to see with the way I handle things and the the way I've handled things like in the past, what would I have done with that knowledge? Even, Even what I did with the knowledge I didn't have, like I think I did pretty damn good. No, so you did. What it, what would I do with it? I'd be scared of the ego I would have with it. <laughs> I'd be more scared of messing it up because of all of the ego I would have had. Yeah. The knowledge. And yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So I just really want to thank you for your time. This was like such a good episode and good insights. And it really just shows that how just keep on challenging yourself, putting yourself out there, keep that learning mindset. And you didn't have to go through the four years of college. You went through four years of experience. So you're at a point in your career where some people are just not at because you you had four years. Like, you know, by the time you're 22, you're already making six figures. You already have good world experience. Right. And whereas some people are just getting out to college with some, you know, regular internships. I say like another point to that that I didn't talk about is um, I didn't talk about like some of the negatives that come with that. too. Yeah, let's go talk about the negatives. Yeah, like... Uh... And more so recently, companies hire for, for for diversity. Yep. So like diversity inclusion, like over the years, it's become more prevalent throughout companies and divisions and sectors and the government, outside the government. And I think like you'll see diversity in like different faces, different like ethnicities, yeah. and nationalities here and there. But what I noticed is like there's no diversity in experience. Yep. Like I could have like some Hispanic, you know, some white people, black people, Indian, Asians yeah. on my team. And generally, they all have the same collective thinking. Yeah, which that is dangerous in cybersecurity. It's super dangerous. And no one thinks about Some people think about it from the talks I've had with some people. But I think maybe some of the people in positions of power sometimes don't think about it. Because, like you said, that is super dangerous. That's one aspect that can be dangerous. But it could just be super inefficient because if everyone has the college degree background, they have the, like that white collar background, like they all worked at a big tech company in like push code the same exact way as everyone else. Like, like the, yeah, the only big company I worked at was Cisco, but like yeah, I left there like super quick and did my own thing. So it's like I have a very diverse skill set. I have a very diverse experience life experience, personal experience, everything. And I don't think that's like taken into consideration a lot. And there could be issues with, with that because I handle things differently. I handle things more confidently. I have a lot more experience at a younger age. So I already come off a different way. It could be, you could come into a lot of tension sometimes. So like when we talked about like, you know, sending email after you meet with someone or like, uh, you have those artifacts, like you have to cover yourself a lot more because when you're not the norm, you're going to draw a lot more attention to yourself. So you have to be, you know, this is the no degree podcast. You're not already not going to be the norm. Maybe someday it's not going to be norm, especially with AI. Like college degrees might become obsolete at some point. But um, for now, the college degree mindset, like that's the norm. Everyone's like, that's the baseline. So if you divert from that, be ready to come with that all that with his own set of challenges just because you're different. Like, yeah, I'm different. Cause like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm black or, you know, I'm, I'm Caribbean, but like what the perception is, that's already like the perception of you, you being different. But now there's a whole set cause people expect me to act a certain way as well. So like, yeah, just be ready with that. Cause it, it comes, comes with the territory and, no, definitely. And when it comes to cybersecurity, you have to think differently because you look at these big companies. Uber got hacked by this 18-year-old kid who's bored. Like, what happens? Doesn't matter how big it is. Companies always get hacked by 17 to 20-year-old bored kids who have different ways of thinking. And criminals always try to think of very different ways, different, very different vulnerabilities. So you can't think of the traditional mindset of like, hey, how would a criminal do this? It's like, you have to really think outside the box. Yeah, exactly. Diversity in different areas, not just like in the face. Yeah. And it's also always important to talk to people from different backgrounds just to get their right. perspective on other things. Because exactly. I know a lot of ways that people come 
do well in cybersecurity. They talk to other people. So they can kind of see like, wow, you had a threat that did it like that. Okay, I had a threat that did it like this. And having that consensus and that conversation. So thank you so much for your time. This was such a great episode. And we'll share the link in the show notes to the guides that you have. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.